Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. Today, I have my good friends, Wendy Conquest and Jeannie Vitoni, joining me, and I am Tim Stein. Dan Drake, our beloved colleague, is unable to join us today, but we'll be back for future episodes. Today is, drumroll, um, <laughs> another episode of a mailbag episode. So we've got some questions to dig into that have been sent to us, uh, and, and let's let's start with them. Wendy, there were a few questions that, that you had. Let, you want to start with those? I can. Um, so let me see here. Okay. So um, the, this question came in. My unfaithful partner now says I'm gaslighting him. Um, is this possible? So the question was him, but it could be her. So my, so the person that has strayed is saying now that they're being gaslit. Well, so, so let's 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 start with the the what they're asking, but I don't think it's really what they're asking. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. People gaslight for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they gaslight manipulatively. Oftentimes people gaslight reflexively. Um, and is it possible that a partner is now gaslighting the addict? Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Um, do I think that that's what's going on? I don't think that's, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know really the question. I think it's important. We had uh, Sarah Morales on uh, talking about gaslighting a while ago. And one of the things that she said was that it's important to recognize that gaslighting somebody is not having a disagreement. Gaslighting doesn't mean I disagree with your perspective. Gaslighting means I am uh, painting a reality for you that is different than what reality actually is. And so, um, you know, if you're disagreeing with the addict or if the addict is disagreeing with you on something, that that's not gaslighting in, unless you are, you know, telling the addict that there's a reality going on that is really false from what the reality is that the addict is experiencing. Yeah. So let me give a scenario that came up in my head that, that I hear a lot from, uh, from addicts um, is uh, we, so I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and we have a pedestrian mall that a lot of people frequent. And so uh, he might say, um, so we were walking down the mall and I was okay. There, there were, yes, there were a lot of people around and a lot of women around, but I felt okay. But my wife said, you were looking at her. Were you looking at her? Did you see her? You were staring. And he, and he'll say, no, I, I don't, I don't think I was. I, I, I'm pretty sure I was not. She said, yes, you were. Were you triggered? Were you? And then, then he'll go, oh my gosh, I think she was gaslighting me. So what do you what do you make of that scenario? What I make of that scenario is that the partner is scared and having their own trigger response to the environment because they're fearful that the addict is being is sexualizing or looking around. And so they're asking these questions to find out if their world is safe. Is their environment safe? I do not see it as an attempt to gaslight. I see it as an attempt to figure out reality or figure out, sorry, figure out safety. Am I safe in the mall? 
I think sometimes betrayed partners, when they're in those situations and they ask their loved one, addict loved one, are you, are you checking them out? Do you see those people? And it's a hard thing to trust when the addict says, no, I didn't even see it. But now that you bring it forward, but I don't see it because betrayed partners do because betrayed partners in their own hypervigilance are scanning the crowd, looking to see, is there anybody out there that could be harmful or scary for me? So I don't necessarily wouldn't use gaslighting with that example. I would say that's more hypervigilance and a trauma response. Um, I think of gaslighting back to the question um, that came from the mailbag. You know, is it sometimes people get um, with gaslighting, it's a perspective. Well, my perspective is this. I heard you say this. Well, that's not what I said. I said this. And then they get into the, well, you're gaslighting me when it's hard because you don't always have a recorder on for conversations you have. But when the other person truly believes their perspective, that I don't know that that's gaslighting because it's not malintention. It's not to keep secrets. It's not to hide. It's not to cause distortion. It's these two people seeing things very differently. So I think there's some nuances here of relational disagreement and perspective taking versus the pathological piece of gaslighting. Yeah, when and it comes just I, gonna say it's complex to figure out. Yeah, I was I was gonna say from the attic side, you know, I, I tend to uh lean towards I'm I'm my guess is that the partner is not gaslighting you, the partner is triggered, they're in their trauma response, they're trying to, you know, do safety seeking and make sure that they're safe. And so usually if you look at what the partner is doing through that lens, it usually makes more sense. The challenge, I think, with, with gaslighting, especially like in that scenario that you're talking about, Wendy, is in some ways you're not, it, you can't tell until it's later on in hindsight. You know, I, I will sometimes tell the addicts, look, if, you're, if your partner says you were noticing them, I saw you checking them out and you weren't. Even if it's going to be a big old argument, you got to have the argument because you need to help. It, it, it's important for the addict to be honest with what was going on, even if they weren't triggered and the partner doesn't want to believe them. Because if you agree with the partner, then what you unintentionally do is you reinforce for the partner whenever they're triggered, their perception is 100% accurate. Nobody's perception is 100% accurate. But you know, that does mean that the addict really has to be honest because if, you know, like in Wendy, if you're in your scenario, um, you know, if the partner says, were you, were you checking them out? And you were, and you say no. And then later on, it comes out that that was the truth. Now you've undermined your credibility. So it's anyway, yeah. Gaslighting is, is tricky. I think we, I, I appreciate the term. I really think it's an important term to use. I don't think people fully understand it. And I think it gets overused in inappropriate ways more frequently than, than people acknowledge. Yeah, I would agree. I think also it's very challenging because early in addiction, the addict is trying to find out who they really are yeah. and they're, they really are, are, hopefully they're really looking at the patterning of lying and the compulsivity of lying and, uh, and distorting their own reality so um so then when they're being told 
uh, well, you didn't think that, or you didn't feel that, or you did feel that. I think it can be very disorienting for the addict to go, I don't know. Did I look at her? Did I not look at her? I, yeah, I don't think I did, but maybe I did, right? Because there's that time of, of trying to let go of, I'm going to say, well, I don't think that's fair. I was going to say, let go of ego, but let go of the part that says, I know, I know, because in early recovery, I don't think the addict knows anything. I think they are being almost disassembled to a, a core of humility and vulnerability and then relearning so much. So I think it's a, a very uh, challenging time for the addict and and certainly for the partner so challenging for the partner so you have two people that are trying to understand what happened and then have a healthy reality dynamic in the present moment that's a tall order so tall. yeah so for partners i would say as Jeannie was saying, if you're activated, know when you're activating your own trauma and know when you're projecting and take away the, well, your feeling or your thinking and come back to what you're experiencing to share from that point of view, um, that, that might help in cleaning up this dynamic. Yeah. Do we think we answered the question? Because was the question the question just to come back to that listener? He says, or addict says, I'm gaslighting him. Is that possible? Right. And illusion with the three of us of sure that's possible. And this term can be overused and used inappropriately. So, you know, really more discussion is needed is what do you really mean by that and what's really going on? before we can answer that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. We going on to another question? Sure, you question. got another one on your side, Wendy? Awesome. <laughs> Do I have one on my side? Hang on. Um, yes. So the question is, is sex addiction really curable? Mm. So... Right? If we're framing it as a disease, right? are diseases or illnesses curable? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to give the answer of no. Mm -hmm. and, and I think about, you know, one of the analogies we sometimes use is we talk about sex addiction as being kind of like diabetes. You know, you can manage it and you can live a very healthy life and you can be, you know, minimally impacted by diabetes, but you're still going to have to pay attention and manage it. My experience with uh, sex addiction is it's similar to that, that people make great strides in sobriety. I, I know people who have decades of sobriety under their belt. You know, people can radically change their life uh, when they're when they're living their life in a different way and they're embracing recovery. And yet, what I have seen, is that people's brains are still vulnerable. You know, I, I, I very rarely encourage an addict to assume they've got this licked and to stop continuing to do their recovery work. They have to continue, in, in, in my experience, 
to to actively you know figure out what does recovery and managing recovery and holding appropriate boundaries look like for them and so when i hear the word cured i think the i the, the the question is you know can i get to the point where i never have to pay attention to this ever again and it's and i'm just i've moved beyond it and i can just live my life without concern for it i don't think that's i don't think that's where anybody ever gets in recovery but can they manage it and live their life in a very healthy way for themselves and for the people in their life absolutely absolutely yeah i was thinking about this it really depends for me on what they're talking about when they say cured you know is that like you described never you're cured and you have to don't have to pay attention and and don't have to be thoughtful as you move forward mm, then i'm going to say no but cured can i have sobriety can i maintain sobriety can i live a healthy sexual life and be sexually addiction sober yes and that can be a way of life so i feel like it depends on how this client is defining it and i know that i am uh, that's that's my answer is it depends um but i i want to endorse and affirm i agree with the idea of staying aware but perhaps a person doesn't have to be in two, three meetings a week or, you know, constant in their service work and all those things and still keep sobriety and good, healthy relationships. Yeah. But I think that awareness of being conscious when you walk into certain environments that you know what your red flags are and you know what's going to be a problem and you have a good plan before you get there as best you can. So I guess it really comes back to me for the depends what you mean by cured. Yeah, so I like this discussion, this conversation we're having. I uh, so in in my life right now, I have a number of people who are struggling with different illnesses. I have a friend who has cancer. I have a friend who has Parkinson's, and one of the pieces that I've realized is they are living life differently. They're basically saying, oh my gosh, how can I be as healthy as I possibly can be? And so they're looking at all aspects of their life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and saying, what do I need to do? Um, and then also their support team, you know, who, who is, who are the best supports in my, um, I'm going to say battling, battling this. And so um, if we, if we look at a sex addiction as something that's maladapted in the brain for could be trauma it could be it could be a lot of different pieces how does that person say okay um how do i get this i'll take the cancer analogy how do i get this in remission yeah um and so you know, what's the analogy when people are in recovery and they say, wow, you know, I'm feeling really good about life. I, I feel like I have my support systems in place. I feel like I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm managing this. I'm not controlling it, but, but it's, it's managed. It's so interesting because 12 step uh, jargon uses, uses the term unmanageability and manageability. Am I managing? So so uh, I think of it more that way than curable um, because 
as you were saying, Tim, I've seen people that have had a lot of recovery and then the perfect storm happens. Yeah. That could be a lot of different factors coming in. And then those old brain networks fire just in the right way. And, and there's a relapse. So, um, and, and I think this is a challenge for partners because they will say, if this ever happens to me again, I'm out. Like I, I can't, or if this ever happens again, I can't take it. Like I will not be able to take it. So then the question is with any illness, well, how big is, how big is the, how big is the event? Is it a full blown relapse? Is it a slip? And by the way, we've done conversations on slip versus relapse. So please look at that episode for more clarification on that. Um, so yeah, so this is a, this is a scary question that I think partners ask. You know, what comes to mind as you're, as you're talking about that is that, uh, in our practice, Jeannie and I will often talk about couples therapy and the type of couples therapy we're doing with couples at different points in recovery. And when we're doing early couples therapy, we talk about it as elephant therapy. There's this big stinky elephant of an addiction that's in the middle of the room and you're trying to figure out how to manage that. Later on, the addiction becomes more like a cat on the couch. Mm -hmm. And that analogy for me fits in here. You know, do people get to the point where their addiction is like a cat on the couch? It's kind of curled up over on the side. It's doing its thing. Yeah, you have to pay attention to it and you have to manage it, but it's not front and center of every moment of every day. And it's not negatively impacting you if you're not constantly paying attention to it. But does it ever like completely disappear and go away? No, at, at, at best, it's always going to be kind of like, you know, a little cat hanging out over there that you got to pay attention to, but it doesn't have to take your full attention. And it's not taking up the entire uh, breadth of your life. That analogy, I'm going to start using that for sure. I, that's so great. And, and you said cat, not dog. There's, there's a big difference in those species, right? Cats are pretty self-sufficient. And sometimes you know they're there, they're there. And sometimes you don't. So I really like that. I think the other piece too is people are farther along in recovery is that life events tend to take front and center instead of the addiction uh, because life happens. And I, 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 um, gosh, I appreciate that life happens because sometimes it gives a great perspective of, okay, the addiction seemed to be all consuming, all focusing, right. And, and now, oh my gosh, our daughter needs our attention or, you know, there's an elderly parent that's, that's struggling. And, and so there can be that, okay, the addiction is not my whole life. Yeah. And, and with the cat thing, I like that you said that because they are self-sufficient, but every now and then they'll come up and they'll rub up against you and it demands some attention. And sometimes they get feisty and they get those claws out and you end up with the scars and the, the sort of like the, you know, those, those fun moments from cats. You have to, they can be self-sufficient, but you can't ignore them. I agree. I agree. Well, I'll continue that and say, you know, you must feed the cat so that it lives. So you have to keep on doing healthy things. And they poop. And so you got to keep on taking out the trash, yeah. making sure you got a, a clean, healthy environment. And that's that's to go along with the cat. All right. Next question. What do you have, Tim? Uh, what do I got? Uh, 
I'm a betrayed partner, six plus years uh, since discovery, uh, right. married, uh, married to an SA um, who's been in recovery for five years. Uh, when intuition and behavior tell me that I am still being lied to, why do I struggle to stay to say it's over? Why do I feel like the bad guy here? It's mm. a great question. That's a great question. I just want to say that the conversations team did an interview with Jake Porter on absets. What what's the Jeannie? What's the whole betrayal, betrayal recovery radio? Thank you on betrayal recovery recovery radio. Thanks. So, um, and and this was a topic. One of the questions that we answered on that podcast um a little bit different but it's you know, when when do i know it's time to to go mm -hmm. um so this question right is a little more detailed with five years in well it's yeah. a little also because it's it's um what i heard and tim correct me if i'm wrong because i didn't write it down but it was why do i struggle to go which i think is a is a good therapy discussion for this individual to have that exploration why am i struggling to leave did she say struggling or did she say why do i feel like the bad guy what, what i think why do i struggle to say it's over okay why feel like the bad guy yeah yeah i'm going to take the bad guy part of this for a second yeah um, i think that's a bit common um, when folks come to a place that they've decided, you know what, this relationship is not working for me. And and again, in this scenario, which I think is a common scenario where the addict has done a lot of great work and continues to be sober, and yet the partner doesn't feel that connection anymore, doesn't have that sexual attraction to the addict any longer, decides not to be a romantic partner with the addict any longer. But then there's this sense of, but should I, you know how I feel about that word should, but should I stay? They've worked so hard. Look, they're this new person. The addict has really blossomed. They're now emotionally connecting. We have great conversations, but I just don't feel it for them anymore. And, and I, you know, why don't, why do I feel guilty? My guess is because you're, I always say you're an honorable, respectful, compassionate person that you see how, how much effort they've put in and how great they've progressed. And yet it's still okay if it no longer is the right relationship for you. So I feel like there's sometimes this caught up of when the addict does really well, do I have to stay? No, you have to be in a relationship that feels healthy for you in all ways, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, physically. And um, it's sad, it's always sad but I, I don't feel like people must stay when the addict has progressed. Well, and I, I think she said he's been in recovery for five years. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to say, I don't know what that looks like. That's true. Lots lots yeah. 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 Because, yeah. because lots and lots of people can be in recovery and um, it's sort of saying I'm spiritual. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I, so um so what I'm hearing is that one way or another, she's not getting her needs met. 
So that could be for a myriad of different reasons. Um, one piece that we talked about on Jake Porter's, or I'm sorry, on the AppSets podcast was that there may be other things besides sex addiction with a particular person. Um, there can be underlying um, personality disorders. There can be underlying mood disorders. Um, so, so we kind of don't know exactly what's going on with any particular person. So, um, and at the end of the day, someone can be in really good recovery and still not meeting, uh, another person's needs. Yeah. So let me just say that. And the bad guy piece there, there are other, I, I would be questioning her as to who, who is viewing her as the bad guy. Is it the addict? Is it kiddos? You know, is it children? Uh, is it friends, family? Or so, is it her is it herself? Right. So so who's 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 labeling her that? Um, and I would say that, you know, any anyone that has walked this walk with a partner, they're gonna be saying, I I hopefully they're saying, I understand. You've given it five years for heaven's sakes. Um, so it's okay. It's okay. If you want to go, there's a, the, 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 the pieces that sort of come up for me as we're talking about this are, you know, if it, if it feels to her five years in that he's not being honest, you know, to overly simplify it. And I'm going to put this in all or nothing terminology. And most of the time that's not the case. So I'm just going to make that clear, but it, it could be that he is still, not able to be rigorously honest. He's still struggling with significant middle circle or relapse behavior. And he's still lying about what's going on on his side. And what she's picking up is, is an accurate reflection that she's being lied to. Or he's actually doing really good recovery work, but her wounding uh, is just too too deep, too painful. Whether she's done her, her, her work around healing that trauma or not, but just the wounding might just be too painful. And regardless of what he's doing, she's not going to be able to move past that. And why is she struggling to say it's over? I, I like what you guys were saying, you know, well, who's saying that you're the bad guy? And what does it mean for you that it's over? Uh, there's a really interesting um, uh, phrase, uh, section in Pia Melody's Facing Love Addiction book, where uh, they talk about um, what does it mean when a relationship is over? And in this passage, they, they, uh, it's her, her ex-husband, Pat Melody, who's writing the section. And he basically says, relationships are learning, are learning laboratories. You know, because a relationship ends doesn't mean that it was a failure. You've often learned quite a bit from that process. And sometimes recognizing that a relationship and a lifelong, lifelong commitment to this relationship isn't healthy for you or the other person is a very appropriate thing to do. And you can both walk out of that with a lot of learning, awareness, and experience for what you're looking for in a relationship moving forward. And so sometimes, you know, it's it's easy to end a relationship when you're pissed off and angry. It's much more responsible. And I think it's healthier to look at it from a place of sadness, but that's harder to, to acknowledge and sit with sadness and say, you, you've been working at this. I've been working at this. It's not fitting for me. I'm sad about that, but 
I have to acknowledge that this isn't working. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our mailbag episode for this time. Please continue to send us your questions. Uh, we are happy to answer those questions, whether they're about betrayal trauma, uh, addiction, recovery, healing processes, or anything else. We're happy to happy to go into all kinds of crazy questions. Um, and you can send those questions. Uh, you can email them to us at conversations.sar at gmail.com. And if you send those questions in to us, we'll listen for future episodes. We'll, we'll get to them in a mailbag. Uh, also, please be sure to rate and review us on uh, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. We hope that uh, hope that you give us good ratings. It helps other people to find us and benefit from what we're talking about. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation on sex, addiction, and relationships. Wendy and Jeannie, thank you as always for joining me. And uh, I wish you all the best in your journeys of healing and recovery. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.